You're listening to Inspired by Purpose. My name is Dr. Ozzy Jankovic, and I believe that purpose is what inspires us to make our greatest impact. Each week, we roll out episodes to inspire and empower you to become unstoppable in life and business. I am so grateful to be here with you. Now let's get started. Hey there, happy June and welcome to this episode. It is a really cool conversation between me and my friend Debbie Sasson. Debbie Sasson is a business and money coach who helps Jewish entrepreneurs clear their money blocks and create consistent 10 to 20k months building long-term wealth. She has a wealth of knowledge and expertise in her field and we have such a fantastic conversation and we'll be talking about how to make more money from the mindset standpoint and I'll be coming in to share strategy on starting and building businesses in the most flexible and freeing way possible. This episode is divided up into two parts. This is part one of two. And before we dive in, I want to invite you to enter this month's big giveaway, which includes $2,400 in marketing videos from my brand new company, Custom Created Clips. You can visit customcreatedclips.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and enter to win the giveaway. Custom Created Clips was born out of the need that I saw for so many entrepreneurs to create video content for social that was a step above selfie videos without the significant financial investment involved in full-service video production. I'll be sharing so much more about that in the episode, but until then, visit customcreatedclips.com, scroll all the way down, and enter to win the videos. With nothing further, here's part one of the episode. Today, we're talking about how abundance in your business and abundance in your life is possible and how that can help you in your life and how that can help you in your business. I am the host of the Inspired by Purpose podcast. I am also a purpose-based life and business strategist. And I'm founding some new companies too. So we're going to talk about all of that. I just love watching you and all of the things you're you're like, oh, we're founding (laughs) some new companies. Like little like secrets are coming out of the bag. I'm Debbie Sasson. As you said, I'm a business and money coach for Jewish entrepreneurs. I help my clients create consistent $5,000 to $20,000 months. I have a group coaching program. I'm the founder of Wired for Wealth. It's a business foundations or business academy for entrepreneurs. And I also am the hostess of what is currently called the Mastering Money in Midlife podcast and a former financial planner. So I've got all of the money, the practical money stuff down pat. Unbelievable. I am such an admirer of your work and this is going to be so exciting. So we're going to be getting into three things today. We're going to be talking about beliefs, We're going to be speaking about a flexible business startup and growth model and how that fits into abundance. And then we're also going to get into some of the fears around change in life and in business. All right, let's go. Let's do this. So why don't we go ahead and start off around beliefs. Debbie, can you share with us what are the challenges around 
creating more abundance when it comes to beliefs that you've seen with your clients? We all have money beliefs. Most of our beliefs we inherited from our family of origin. We could talk about inherited traumas, but maybe we'll do that another time. But they're like beliefs that live inside our nervous system. But most of us heard messages from our parents around money. And when we were little and we were pretty much blank slates, we downloaded those messages into our mind, our subconscious mind, and even into our body, right? Money doesn't grow on trees. Oh, people on the other side of the tracks, they make money, but we don't make money, right? We're spenders, not savers. Like we don't know how to do money. Money is complicated. I don't understand the stock market. Like we just have messages, sentences that live in our minds that we're not even aware of that will stop us from believing that more money, more income, even giving more charity, what we call in Hebrew tzedakah is even possible for us. I recently did an exercise with the women in my coaching program and I asked them just what are some of their thoughts about rich people? And one thing that came out was like, they're lucky. It was just interesting. And when we stop, we pull back a little bit and say, wait a second, is that true that rich people are lucky? Yeah, some of them are lucky. Some of them were born into a family, a family with wealth. And you know what? Some other rich people, however you define rich, because that's also not, a, not an objective term. For some people, rich is having $100,000 income. And some people it's having $10,000 in the bank or in the retirement fund. So it's also whatever your mind is calculating as rich. But some people worked from the bottom up. Oh, but then they had lucky breaks. But maybe some of them didn't. It's just the ones we see in the newspapers, in the media. Those are the ones that are really in front of our mind. And we're like, oh yeah, they had all the luck. But me, I don't have all the luck. I don't have the right connections. I don't have the right parents. Don't have the right degrees or certifications. Didn't go to, right, to the right college. So can't be for me. I really hear all that. And I want to also add to those list of beliefs, something that I've heard, which is money is the root of all evil. Yes. And that's a big one. Mm -hmm. In terms of these beliefs that you're sharing, why is it not a fact? Like, why is it not a fact if I didn't go to the right college or I didn't get the right degree or I don't come, someone doesn't come from wealth or they don't have opportunities. Why are those not facts? Why are they beliefs? Let's say there is someone who went to Harvard Business School. So they have a bunch of connections, right? So that is a fact. And if we wasted our time <laughs> doing research about all the graduates of Harvard Business School, we would probably find some that weren't so successful in their lives. They just didn't take the circumstances that they were given in life and create everything, anything from it. And there were some people who started with nothing and in my personal life experience, for example, I am the direct descendants of Jews who were kicked out of Nazi Germany. They left everything behind. My father's father was forced to sell his business. They all arrived in Los Angeles with nothing, didn't barely spoke English, didn't go to the right colleges for sure. I don't even know if my grandfathers went to college, come to think of it, but if it was not Harvard Business School. And one of my grandfathers became a bookkeeper. He ended up middle class. And one of my grandfathers started his own company and he became very successful in his business. So there is just fact in my life that I can see firsthand. It doesn't really matter if you decide 
that there is more available to you in the world, then it's your responsibility to, if you want to figure out how to go and get it. I love that story so much because it clearly illustrates how two different belief sets can create two different outcomes. So the first person and the second person may have all of the same available resources, background, heritage, all of those things that are existing as a fact in this very moment. And yet there's still a choice to look at the facts and then create change. Correct. Yeah. And something that just came up for me in terms of beliefs, let's just go down, get a little bit more granular, is people have beliefs around how much they can charge. I can't charge that much, or people will never pay my prices. There's no one in the world who will dot, dot, fill in the blanks. And those are, again, just a sentence in your mind that is not a fact. If we look at what you do in your business, all the different variations, <laughs> if we look at what I do in my business, there are people in the world who are doing similar things to what you and I are doing, and some are charging less money and some are charging more money, right? We just choose our prices based on what I call as your financial set point. This is where I feel comfortable, maybe a little bit stretchy outside of my comfort zone right now, and then I can continue increasing my prices over time, but it's never a fact. <laughs> Yeah, I really appreciate that. I think there's so many beliefs that I've seen come up for my clients, whether they're starting businesses or they're growing businesses, anything like I've heard things like, I'm not a creative person, or this is the only thing that I can do. This is my skill set. I don't, I can't do other things. I mean, I hear from people all the time. I'm not a technical person, so there's no way that I could set up a complicated website. I need to keep this simple or there's no way that this business can grow because it's reached a ceiling. Mm -hmm. All kinds of beliefs and ultimately from where I'm sitting, it's so important to become conscious of those beliefs. And one of the things that I like to do in my own life and I like to guide people through is sitting in silence and noticing, noticing. A lot of people struggle with sitting in silence. It's yes. no secret that this is one of the hardest things to do. Doing nothing is hard. And why is that? So for most people, sitting in silence is hard because of regret. And looking back and thinking of any mistake that has been made or any piece of guilt or sorrow brings up a lot of shame. Mm -hmm. But if we can accept ourselves, for who we are right now in this moment and really relinquish any shame about the past. We can also notice any thoughts that are coming up, whether they're hopeful or whether they're dreadful and really take an honest inventory of what they are so that if it serves us, we can then change them. 100%. In fact, I'm just gonna dovetail off what you said about shame. I was recently doing some of my own inner work and my coach asked me like, what are you ashamed about? Just like out of the blue like that. And I had this fire rise up inside me from something that happened in my twenties. Okay. Like we're mm. talking a few lifetimes ago and <laughs> it was an invitation for me to go and clear that. And because I have my own tools, because I've been doing 
mind body work for a long time, I didn't need to go deeper with, with a coach. I was really able to clear it on my own, but in terms of various breathing techniques and orienting and tapping and then rewriting and rewriting my journal and really just like looking in the mirror saying, I forgive you. And it took three days and then mm. it was gone. But I focused on it and I wasn't able, because what you said is we can just let go of what we did when we were our younger selves. And part of me wanted to go straight to, oh yeah, but Debbie, you were like a 20 year old then. Of course you did that stupid thing when you were 20, but my body was holding on to it. So I couldn't get my mind wrapped around what was happening in my body. My body was like not having any of this. So I just allowed myself to do it. It did the work and it's really gone. Maybe it'll show up again in a year or two years when I do some deeper work, but I'll just deal with it again. Yeah, it's it makes a lot of sense to me that this process is holistic. It's mind, it's body, it's psycho-spiritual. And I'm curious to hear from you. So you mentioned a few tools. You mentioned tapping and you said something about orienting. For anyone who's not familiar with some of the steps that you mentioned, can you share a little bit more about what those are and how we do them? So let's, we'll just do this right now on camera since we're gonna be on video. So when I orient, I will, and there are different ways to do it, but I'll like just look, take a 90 degree turn of my head and just slowly, I'm doing it fast right now for the video because otherwise we'll all get bored. But basically you just pan the room, letting your eyes focus on things. It shows your brain that you're safe and it just lowers like the stress response in your nervous system because when you're stressed about something or shamed, your body will go into a trauma response, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, right? I'll look at my little roses back there. And then I'll pan the room the other way. And then it just calms my nervous system down. Ooh. So let's all try that. You're right. And this can be something that I'll use and I'll go back 180 degrees and but really super slowly. And just like you said, we're not used to sitting in silence because of it could be regret. It just be, could be because we're uncomfortable sitting in silence. And the urge to like grab for your phone is so strong in 2023 when we're recording this that our minds will think there must be something to do. It could be the laundry. It could be the kids. It could be the business. It could be the emails. It could be the phone. Let me just go scroll. And learning to feel our urges and not answer them is very powerful for so many things. It could be an urge to yell at your spouse or your kids or eat food when you don't want to really eat food or urge to stay in bed when you really want to go and exercise. But just learning to- I love that. The urges that are coming up and to allow them is very empowering. What's so interesting, it makes so much sense to me Because what we know from research is that the number one key to success is the ability to delay gratification. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's also in business. I know we're going to talk about like doing things quickly, which may be delayed gratification because you want like all of the accolades right now, but to be able to build something and to believe in what you're building and start 
and then wait for the returns to show up. It could be three months or six months or three years or whatever, but things do take time. We can for sure collapse time and make it happen more quickly if we're not afraid of so much failure, which I guess we'll talk about. But yeah, delaying the gratification to having all the results now and to stay in belief that it's going to happen is a huge asset that you can bring with you on your journey to building a business. Huge. So let's talk about the person who comes to us and says, you know what? I see that success is possible for other people. And I see that other women can become seven figure business owners, but let's just be honest. I don't have what it takes. This is what they say. They say they don't have what it takes. And again, they didn't go to the right school and they don't even have money in the bank. So how would that even be possible? They are so clear that seven figure business is for her and not for them. What then? How do we shift that belief? How do we shift it? I don't think you shift it again. Let's go back to the shame cycle that I was in a, a few weeks ago. You don't shift it top level like, oh, it is available for me. You can start what I call benevolent brainwashing, right? You start brainwashing yourself that maybe you don't feel like a million dollar business is possible for you, but you start believing that you're that's why I work with my clients. First, we're going to create the consistent $5,000, 10, 15, 20. We'll decide together when is the right time for you to start scaling your business. And you start believing that you're a $5,000 a month earner today. That's $60,000 a year. And then once you, you start seeing that happen, you're $10,000 a month earner today, right? I'm, and it's like your brain doesn't know the difference between the future and the present. So you start believing it and feeling it in your body. So that's one way to start shifting it. I'm not going to, if I believe that I'm a million dollar a year earner today, my brain's going to be like, what are you talking about? It's just like so far out of my reality or my comfort zone. Like four years ago, I was doing a visualization exercise with one of my peer coaches and we were visualizing, I was visualizing a $600,000 a year business. And I saw myself pushing away the money. It was that was part of the visualization because it was too far out of reality for me. But now it's pretty close. So my brain and my body don't push that away. But even before we get there, I just want to know why. Like, why is someone believing that it's possible for her and not possible for me? Because there we can find the limiting beliefs, the any, you know, what I would call them financial traumas. It could be big T, little T traumas, but we can find things that your body is holding onto that you're not letting go of that's really stopping you from showing up bigger and bolder and believing that it's possible for you. So let's just figure out why, yeah, more whys and what else and what else, like where is, let's, we just see the tip of the iceberg, but let's just go down under the water and find out what are the other limiting beliefs that are stopping you from believing that a million dollar business is also possible for you. Yeah, I love I love that so much. And I love this sequential process of doing it step by step. I've heard a few things that I'd love to share <clears throat> with you and the listeners. One second. <clears throat> okay, so I've heard a couple things recently. And one of them was from a product 
a product-based business, the entrepreneur who owns a business, and she has incredible pro products that I've used personally. And she said something to me like, I want to keep this business small. I really want to keep it small. I just, I, I can't handle having a big business. And I heard something from someone else recently where she was asked, how is your work going? And to that question, she answered, the bank account is really not growing. And so this, in the conversation, her friend replied, I didn't ask you about your bank account. I asked you about your work. And so she internalized that and she thought to herself, you know what, my work is going amazing. And she said, I, she doesn't need the financials to go along with that. So what I'm hearing in both of those cases, someone who says they don't want to grow their business or that the financials don't matter is that on some level, they're pushing abundance away. I love that. Yes and no. First of all, let's just allow people to build their businesses how they want. So let's make, but for the first one, they might have a limiting belief or belief that what does it mean that I can't handle a bigger business? Does it really mean, that's what we have to get curious and be like, what does that mean? Does it mean that I don't know how to hire people? I don't know how to manage people. I don't know what it would look like and what the steps are. Like, let's just pretend that her business, her beautiful product-based business is a $100,000 business. Mm -hmm. And now she wants to grow it to $200,000. And she's I can't handle it. What You don't understand taxes. You don't understand what that's going to mean. You don't... And when you're making $200,000, you could do it by doubling your prices and keeping your sales the same. Or it could be that you have to increase your product line or you have to bring in a CEO, maybe you're, you're, or someone else who can be a manager of people or production lines or whatever you're doing. What are the small steps that are getting in your way? And where is your belief in yourself to be able to handle it? Because she's also figured out a lot of things to make her successful in what she's doing to today. Yeah, absolutely. I really agree with you about the choice that everyone can be the CEO of their own business and that they decide. And if there's really honesty about what they want with every fiber of their being, that is great. Some people wanna have side businesses or some people might wanna have little businesses. I think that the issue arises when there's not necessarily this synchronicity between what they say they want and what they really want. You know, it's interesting, Debbie, my background is in education. I'm an educator turned entrepreneur and I have three degrees in education. And if there is one thing that I can impart on myself or on you or on anyone listening today is that our greatest asset is our belief in our ability to learn so that anyone at any point in your business, if someone doesn't feel capable, they, they might say something like, oh, it's just not who I am that needs to be challenged because if you've ever heard of the growth mindset a little background on this term growth mindset it was developed by carol dweck dr carol dweck was a researcher out of stanford and she began doing research on children 
And she noticed a pattern that many of the very gifted, highly gifted students who tested very highly in their younger years were actually having trouble later on in school. And she brought those students into the lab and she started giving them impossible problems to solve and very difficult problems. And she found that the students who were confronted with something that looked too difficult or impossible, if they had been told that they were smart, they would not even attempt to do something challenging. Now, why? So if you're listening to this and you've been told you're smart and part of your identity is that you're smart or you're capable or you're brilliant or whatever you've been told, there is a very good chance if you're holding yourself back, it's because you don't wanna challenge your identity. If you're to go ahead and do something challenging or hard and there's any risk that you don't do it right or that's going to challenge your identity and who you think you are so i i think that definitely brings us into this idea of failure fearing failure and we're going to get into that as we go over the systems and the fears next but i want to make sure debbie is there anything else you want to share about beliefs before we move into systems i want to touch on the other example that you gave Oh, yes. Thank you. That my business is doing well. I'm helping a lot of people, serving a lot of people. And my bank account is pretty skinny at the moment. And that's a question of, is she setting revenue goals for her business? And this is, again, comes back to relationship with money. And I've done this work with my own clients on myself, but many women in particular have a belief. It's a sneaky belief. But I worked with wealthy women who aren't so wealthy, women in all sorts of different situations, but money is a man wor- man's world. The men understand money. The men know how to deal with money. And again, it's some yes, some no, but it's interesting because I, I did this exercise recently again with my clients in Wired for Wealth, and it came up regardless of what their financial situation was at home and in their business today. And we're talking about younger women in their like 20s and we're talking about older women in their 50s because i would have thought that for people in their 50s which is my age bracket for just a few more months because god willing i'll be 60 in july um, that like our mothers like our role models were predominantly like teachers i'm but nurses social workers like that was already like a little bit beyond it was a stretch but secretaries like my role models my mother, my stepmother were not women like business owners, go-getters, make a lot of money. I believe that I'm the first generation of women who was told you can have it all, which is how I ended up working on Wall Street and believing that I was going to be the first partner, female partner at Goldman Sachs. But then I decided that's not what I wanted to do with my life and moved to Israel. And then they became a public company. So it never happened. But it was always in my mind that there, that there was something possible. But Women and men need to set revenue goals for your business. If you have a for-profit business, money is the way you're measuring the financial success of your business. Again, we're not talking about how many people that you're serving in the world, but you need to, like, I want to serve, I want to help 10 people, I want to help 50 people. That's beautiful. I don't, and I want to take that away from you. But again, you're in business to make money. That's what businesses do. And certainly set a revenue goal for your business and now figure out how you're going to do it. And if you want to help a lot of people, that's beautiful. 
create a $200,000 business, which is like a little over $100,000 after you pay taxes and maybe some expenses and whatever. So it really isn't that much money at the end of the day once you have your take-home pay. Let's just put that out there. It's just not. It's just really not a lot of money. $200,000 of income is a beautiful amount of money, but once everybody gets their fair share of it, and I don't believe in, I believe in taking good deductions where you can and expensing things legally where you can, but it's not so much money, especially for those yeah, in Israel who are like dual income, dual tax situations, and we might have to be paying lots of people, but figure out how to make $200,000 in four days a week and leave a fifth day a week to do pro bono work and help a lot of people. That's already giving 20% of your time to, to charity. Help all the people who are in, in need during those, in those times, but take care of your family, make money, put money away for your kids to get them married, to take care of your retirement and make sure that you have health care and other medical assistance when you're 85 or 90 years old and don't want to be getting out of a wheelchair or a rocking chair to go and make money. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that you mentioned this number and certainly depending on where you live and you know how big your family is or what your expenses are, $200,000 may not even be able to cover your expenses. Yeah. All of that being said, I think that one thing, one thing I can share with you that I've seen firsthand is that there are so many different business models where there are lots of ways to contribute to everyone and help everyone at different price points. So I'll give you an example of someone who I really admire. I have incredible role models. One of them is Tara Brock. Dr. Tara Brock is a meditation teacher. Now she has a podcast that is completely free and she has meditations that are completely free. And those are listened to by millions of people every week. Now she could very well charge for those or she could even run ads on those, but she makes a conscious choice not to do those things. However, she mentions at the beginning of every episode to join my email list, visit tarabrock.com. Now that's a part of her business model. She could be a volunteer and that would be fine. And if she's able to do that, great. But if she sets her income goal and if she needs to fuel her work with money, she has choices. So a choice that she might make is to then collect those emails. And she offers all kinds of things, paid meditation trainings and retreats and all kinds of things. And what's so interesting to think about in the case of someone like her is that she can then take all of that money and she can have, for example, a producer come in and share that podcast on every platform and on YouTube and translate it into different languages and she can and make books out of them and whatever is needed to even reach more people if she would like to for free. So what I want to say is that money provides flexibility and freedom to amplify what you want to do to help and to serve at any price point. Co-signed. <laughs> I don't have anything to say. It's, listen, <laughs> you and I are here on this podcast. Yes. Both of us are paying to produce our podcast. You do it probably in-house. I have a podcast production company who produces it. So I'm taking money that people pay me, right? I'm passing it on to my podcast production company who does exactly what you say. They put it out on all the platforms and YouTube, and they write up the show notes and things like that. 
So a hundred percent and people listen to it and people tell me they've made changes in their lives, changes in their business by participating in my free webinars, by coming, by listening to my podcast, right? They're finding free value. I do believe that if you want to create bigger change than paying somebody to do it, a coach, a strategist, a mentor, or something or other, will help you to accelerate your growth and accelerate your income. Certainly. And I can identify with that personally. I remember when I was first shifting from educator to entrepreneur, I had this idea that I wanted to be as generous as possible with everything that I'd ever learned. And I started hosting these Zooms where I would guide people through meditations and making different personal transformations. And that evolved. And I realized very quickly that even organizing those events and <clears throat> publishing those events took, whether it's, it took time. And at some point, <clears throat> time becomes an issue, right? We, we all have the same amount of time. And so either <clears throat> I could invest my time for free and do what I could do, or I could bring someone in to help me mm -hmm. and I can make things happen more efficiently if it's part of that plan. And so certainly I've learned over time that bringing in, whether it's freelancers or employees or whatever it is, can be a really powerful way to divide and conquer. I think that we all need to be honest about taking an inventory, like what resources are at my disposal, both time and money, and how am I going to invest those, which I think is the perfect segue into what we're talking about next. Okay. I'll just give you my little uh, spiel on that. The time and money is that bootstrapping your business, like doing it all in-house is the most expensive way to grow your business because Time is, as you said, we all have the same amount of time. It is the only resource that is non-renewable. And we don't know when our time is running out. So if you can collapse time and hire someone like, yeah, I know we don't all have like tech backgrounds and right, we have the limiting beliefs about I can't do it and we need to be lifelong learners, et cetera. And if there's someone who's like really quick with tech and can take my podcast and figure out how to get it up on my website and I don't have to do that, and I can use my zone of genius doing the things that I do, then we have just made the world more abundant because then money comes to me serving my people. I pass on money to other people who are doing what's in their zone of genius. And I've also collapsed time because now I get things done much more quickly. Sure. And I want to clear something up and offer this idea, you mentioned something that I might be producing my podcast in-house. And I'll tell you that when I started doing the podcast, again, I thought it was a hobby. I thought it was me being like benevolent and sharing wisdom with the world. But I quickly realized by doing everything myself, a couple of things. Number one, I'm an extremely efficient, discerning person in everything I do. So I got to the bottom of this podcast production process and I turned it into an unbelievably efficient process. So now I record on an app, it automatically uploads to an editor. I have AI editing. I, I like a lot of things were boiled down to a very efficient process, which I really appreciate because now I can have a VA, someone with a pretty basic skill set by way of like technical producers, right? Mm -hmm. That can do this work for me. So I think 
when my own experience for me, it boils down to this give and take, like how many things in my business do I need to get granular and know everything about? Or, and how many things am I just going to trust? And I think that boils down to the facts, right? How much time and money do you have? And what is your business plan? And that is why I developed this model, which I call the flexible startup and business growth plan. Okay. So tell me about it. Yes. Okay. So I'll share a story that when I decided to make the shift from educator to entrepreneur, I had this idea. And the idea was that I would start a website, a platform, and it would solve this problem of, okay, well, if it's not Googleable, and I want to just ask someone, could I then hop online and click a button and have access to the exact person who can give me that information? So it's kind of like chat GPT, but the human version. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this was the idea. And I thought that I knew what I was doing. It was my first venture. And I read a really cool book called The Lean Startup. And I believed that I was doing like the minimum amount available in order to launch this business. I learned so many lessons in the process. And that was in 2017. Now I put that project on hold and everything that I learned and I realized about that, I've then applied to all of the work I've done moving forward. Thank you so much for tuning in to the show today. Thank you for being here. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe because there's so much more in store. If you'd like to share the gift of being inspired by purpose, you can send a link over to a friend, drozzy.co backslash inspired so that they can benefit also. If you haven't done so yet, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening. You are welcome to send us over a screenshot of the review to service at drozzy.co because I'm going to be sharing some of these reviews in forthcoming episodes. Thank you so much for being inspired by purpose, for being with me here on the podcast today, and I will see you next week.